a knowledge asymmetry is just when one party knows something, usually something of importance that the other party does not know. A lot of it stems from that kind of original assumption that if you keep looking hard enough, you can find digital advertising solutions that are like theoretically perfect. Hello and welcome to the AdPod. Apologies, it's been a little while since our last episode. A variety of reasons for that, but we're back with an excellent episode with Miles Younger, who is the Head of Innovation and Insights at U of Digital, and we're chatting about knowledge asymmetry. Knowledge is an interesting topic to chat about because it's what we're all trying to apply in our day-to-days, yet we all acquire it in different ways and we all have different types of it. So today we talk about knowledge gaps, what that means for decision-making, industry incentives, but also how to systematically solve for those gaps. This is actually one of my favorite conversations to date. I loved it. So much resonated with me as it's almost an intangible topic, but if sold for can actually have tangible benefits. So I think when you listen, you'll know what I mean when I say that. So I hope you enjoy it. But before we get into it, we are actually looking for a podcast sponsor. Amazing. I have a ton of ideas around that opportunity. But if you like the AdPod and think your company might be well aligned with what we're doing, then drop me a note via my LinkedIn and I can feedback. I'm easy to find because there aren't any other Wayne Bloodwells. Probably a good thing. Anyway, I hope that you enjoy this episode of the AdPod. Hi, Miles. Welcome to the AdPod. How are you doing? Uh, I'm good, Wayne. Thanks a lot for having me on. No, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Um, before we get into the conversation, for those who are listening who might not know who you are, would you mind give us a quick intro to your career and what you do now? Yeah, yeah. So uh, my name is Miles. Uh, I am head of innovation and insights at U of Digital. U of Digital is a training and education partner for the uh, marketing, advertising, uh, and media space, digital. Um, we work with a bunch of blue chip names uh, across that space, uh, uh, Yahoo, Stack Adapt, Gum Gum, uh, just a bunch of household names, NBC Universal. Um, and I have kind of a dual dual role here. Uh, one is uh, kind of a thought leadership role because the topics that we train on um, are the ones that are top of mind for clients, which also usually happen to be the ones that are top of mind for the entire industry and for kind of the, the general universe of, of thought leadership in our industry. So that's one half of my role is 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 keeping track on kind of the the big topics that are being discussed. Uh, the other half of my role is head of product. So as U of Digital continues to grow and um, evolve uh, out a, a digital product suite, uh, I'm leading that up as well. Uh, I came from Media Monks and Mighty Hive. Most recently, I was there for a combined total of five years. Uh, finished out my time there as head of go-to-market inside of the uh, data and digital media consulting arm at Media Monks. And then going back even further than that, 
I was an ad tech founder for uh, a number of years. So uh, built and ran a small dynamic ad serving or DCO platform uh, for close to 10 years. And going back even further than that, uh, my career originated on the client side, uh, doing kind of almost everything inside of like B2B corporate marketing, everything there, there was to do. I probably did a little bit of it. Awesome. Awesome. And um, that experience shapes us nicely for today because it's very rare you get somebody who's got experience from multiple sides of the industry. And, and what we're going to talk and say is about knowledge and kind of asymmetrical knowledge. Um, and we always like to start the app pod with definitions just so that everyone's on the same page. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so what is asymmetrical knowledge? So in plain English to me, um, a, a knowledge asymmetry is just when one party knows something, usually something of importance that the other party does not know. So, um, you know, this is why, for instance, uh, you know, going to buy a car can be so stressful for car buyers is because what are you worried about as a car buyer? You're worried that the car dealer knows something that you don't. They know more about what the car is truly worth, and uh, you are kind of at a, a disadvantage. That's just kind of an everyday example. But uh, I, I happen to think that a lot of the woes and perhaps weirdness of the digital ads industry is is driven by these very large and, and persistent knowledge asymmetries that that cut across various parts of the industry and i i guess on that kind of what would be a, a couple of examples of some you know where knowledge asymmetry kind of is is most present yeah yeah I, there's so there's probably dozens um so you could look at asymmetries between what agencies know and do on behalf of their clients versus what their clients are aware of. So this has come up in multiple scandals <laughs> where yep. agencies are, are doing things <laughs> that uh, their clients are unaware of. And to go kind of a layer further than that, and this is where I think kind of you of digital you know, comes in and, and, and the, the, the role that we see ourselves playing in the industry is as a as someone on the client side, as a, as a buyer of agency services, you first have to know the right questions to even ask in order to ascertain if, if I don't, you know, you're being taken advantage of, or there is something that is opaque uh, that is going on that that is uh, runs counter to your expectations. Um, you know, you get into these situations where a buyer simply doesn't know what questions to ask, which is the you know, same thing with the analogy of going to buy a car. Like a, how many times does a person buy a car in their entire lifetime? Not that many. And so you never get particularly good at it because you don't know the right questions to ask. Um, um, so, you know, th- there's the whole agency client dynamic uh, there. Uh, if, you know, obviously the, the the death of the cookie is being you know continues to be talked about perhaps with slightly more urgency because just maybe it'll actually be deprecated next year um and there's a big knowledge asymmetry um kind of between say identity providers and the entire rest of the industry nobody can really ascertain uh <laughs> 
how ID resolution is happening and, and how cookie dependent or IP address dependent or, you know, uh, uh, HTTP user agent dependent, it might all be. And that's another big knowledge asymmetry that um, causes a tremendous amount of uncertainty uh, in the industry, especially as, as this, you know, uh, a possible final third-party cookie deprecation looms in, you know, presumably about a year's time. So those are two examples. I could keep going on, but those are two. I don't, Wayne, what's, what leaps to mind when you think about knowledge asymmetries? Oh, there's just so many. Like um, I think of when buyers are looking at tech platforms, um, they're not really sure what to ask of those tech platforms, apart from, you know, some sort of tick box spreadsheet questions, because um, they might not know, know how to look at, API integrations or how to look at uh, more technical um, parts of that. Um, And actually that that was sort of, as you were talking through, I was thinking as a buyer, sometimes you you don't know what to ask, but then some of what you do ask isn't important anyway. So so for example, if I'm going to that car dealership looking to buy a car and I just, I've read online that I should look at about alloy wheels and I go in and go, hey, <laughs> what alloy wheels do you have? And I've got no idea what's going to come back. And in the context of a car I'm buying, that might not be important, but I don't know. Yeah. And so yeah. it's also interesting to know what questions are going to actually get you what you want anyway, like what's important. That is a great point. Um, <clears throat> yeah, there, there's definitely an inverse to knowing the right questions to ask or, you know, you know, I guess sort of one inverse of that is being prepared with the wrong questions by being very prepared with the wrong questions. Uh, like, and you know, I'm thinking of something else now is like, um, uh, this scandal that came up, um, a couple of months ago now, I want to say where, where, uh, Salesforce was being accused of, uh, misrepresenting the real time nature of its technology. And I'm just thinking as you're talking about, you know, buyers asking questions that may not really be material to the outcomes that they want to achieve is a buyer asking, I don't know, in this case, Salesforce or any other ad tech or martech platform, is it real time? Is it real time? Mm-hmm. And the salesperson nodding, nodding vigorously. Oh yeah, it's real time. It's real time. And it's like, well, there is, there's kind of two questions. There's one, it, it depends on your definition of real time, which can have, can take many, many different forms in a tech stack. And then the other question is, how much does that really matter <laughs> to your marketing strategy? Yeah. So anyway, that, when you talked about alloy wheels, I immediately thought of like, well, what's the marketing equivalent of alloy wheels? It might be real time. I don't know. Yeah, potentially. And then it kind of also, some of these sort of decision makers, you have to go out and select or purchase these things in marketing. Uh, maybe they're not, you know, super technical and they probably weren't expected to ever be, but now yeah. they need to be. And it also works right. the other way around on the sort of sales side as well, I guess, like you know, sellers who maybe were very good at the relationships and lunches and selling TV spots now have to know, what the hell is an object hierarchy in a DSP or you know, whatever it might be? Yeah, I, that's a great uh, bit of terminology. I think I could maybe venture an answer to what that would be just by sheer guesswork. But uh, uh, I, I think Wayne, even I would be stumped as to exactly what that would be. Um, um, yeah, it, I mean, so in terms of like knowledge asymmetries around the technology itself, that, that is an interesting one when you're talking about technological 
features and uh, bells and whistles that, that come along with a, a given piece of ad tech or martech or or a stack you know if you're talking about google or adobe or salesforce or hubspot or whatever um and the fact that now that much of marketing and advertising is digital in nature that means it runs it, it's it's operated through products and there are limits to how many features you can add to a product and you can only hire so many engineers those engineers can only work so fast but the fact is is that you can change the way say a martech or ad tech stack works at a far faster rate now than you could have changed, say, how broadcast radio worked in the 1960s. Like that was, it just worked the way it worked. You know, the pace of change there was not going to be that rapid. Whereas now it's so rapid that to your point, there's almost a knowledge asymmetry between like the engineers and the buyers and the sellers. Mm. Uh, uh, which is a a gulf that is kind of like its natural tendency is to get wider and wider and wider because those engineers can add features way faster than the average seller or the average buyer can keep up, I suppose, on their own. Because like, what are you as a seller or a buyer supposed to do? You really hit refresh on the documentation every day and see a, see what changed. Um, so I think that's a, it's a really interesting way that digital marketing and advertising in particular kind of produces its own knowledge asymmetries just by fact, by, by virtue of the fact that the pace of innovation is like so extremely rapid. Yeah. The pace of change. I'm sure like I'm, other industries that my friends might work in probably think the same, but I mean, compared to digital marketing, it evolves so quickly, almost feels week to week at times. And sometimes people think that's just like a, a scale, a sales job of a consultant, but it's not, it's actually true. You know, all these like measurement yeah. techniques are changing. Technologies are changing. Like there's uh, like the service layers changing, you know, there's a constant evolution. And I think maybe that's where some have taken advantage of, the knowledge asymmetry um to their advantage in that oh you'll never be able to keep up with this so i can explore that sort of space to make commercial gains because you don't understand it um whereas others i think have you know like you of digital have tried to bring everyone on the journey as well like let's all just recognize that change is happening um but let's uh yeah let's try and work together to, to sort of you know know what's important know what to understand yeah, I, I mean, U of Digital's position is that <clears throat> there are very, very few um, systematic approaches to closing knowledge gaps in the industry. There are lots of ad hoc approaches and ad hoc resources, but there is not much being done on a systematic basis um, um, to address this um, either on the sell side or the buy side. Um, and so that's, that's kind of where, um, um, that's where we come into it from. And, you know, uh, I think the, the thing is, is that there's kind of a, the, the ad hoc approaches tend to gravitate towards this notion that you 
need detailed knowledge across a broad range of topics or technologies. And that runs into, it kind of runs into a brick wall when you realize there aren't enough waking hours in like a human lifetime to, to really understand in, in fine-grained detail how it all works. Uh, and so we, we come in, our approach is much more kind of plain English. Let's address the important question. Let's get everybody educated on, on basic concepts rather than, oh, you know, leave people to go scour forums where people are debating privacy sandbox features or, you know, scroll through Twitter. I very much enjoy Twitter, but it's like, you know, Wayne, it's like a full-time job. My staying God, on- yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, like that's not actually a, it is a good learning resource if, if you're really acclimated to it and you're of a certain type of personality and you play a certain role in the industry. But in general, it's not a good learning resource. It's way too time consuming for what you're getting out of it. Uh, and so anyway, we, we're, we're trying to address all this with, with systematic approaches rather than um, kind of a chaotic scattershot ad hoc approach that, that the industry has, has kind of taken up until this point. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. And so what do you think are like the implications of this sort of asymmetric knowledge? Like what can happen because of it? it yeah, so like I think there so you know there, there's some very i think abstract and fundamental misconceptions about for instance how the internet and the digital world even works so if you go back about well if you go back uh, probably towards the beginning of internet advertising you know uh, in the you know nineties or whatever, uh, uh, I'm sure if you went back and read articles, there would people be saying you know we're predicting that it would be sort of the end of any waste and uncertainty in marketing because now it's digital and it's digital, therefore it is entirely deterministic. Therefore, you can eliminate waste. You can measure things with absolute certainty, and that. I don't know if I would call it a myth so much because it actually was at one time a fairly intuitive conclusion. It's, it was not an unreasonable conclusion, but because the real world is the real world, uh, <laughs> like digital is part of the real world and the real world is very messy. Um, fast forward to today and it really is still kind of this persistent myth that I think a lot of people don't understand they don't understand in kind of a visceral sense why it is that the digital world and digital advertising and marketing have not led to some renaissance of, you know, specificity and precision and certainty in advertising that everybody thought was there. And we now know, at least I believe it was never, it's not there. It was never there. It was a complete illusion. It was a, a we concocted this illusion ourselves uh, uh, because we thought that, you know, digital meant superior, you know, in all ways. And so I think a lot of what happened with ad tech and 
digital advertising and the places that it's kind of gone off the rails and the places where um, the trust of brands has been like pretty badly eroded. A lot of it stems from that kind of original assumption that if you keep looking hard enough, you can find digital advertising solutions that are like theoretically perfect. And you, that was never, they were never there. That was not a good thing to be looking for. A lot of people got kind of taken in by, uh, 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 you know, various technology fads over the years. You know, multi-touch attribution would be one that was like, that was the, the sort of, you know, mm. the, 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 the God particle of advertising physics. It was like, oh man, like we're going to literally track every touch point across, you know, every device and channel. And you're going to have a crystal clear picture, not only into what happened, but why it happened and what you ought to do next. And um, that was predicated on the assumption that it was all knowable and all kind of could be modeled perfectly. And so I, I think a bunch of stuff just unpacked literally from that one core assumption and, and both buyers and sellers have taken it off into different directions. And so it's that that's manifested itself in a number of different ways. Yeah. Makes total sense in that um, the, yeah, the theories change off the, off the back of, the knowledge differences so, so another example i was thinking of was uh like a retail media you know it's one of those things which oh all these things that you knew about targeting one-to-one measuring one-to-one and you sort of fingers crossed that will still exist somewhere please because i spent the last 15 years hoping that's what's happening oh up it pops like an oasis in the desert you know it's gonna be my savior and it's actually um where you don't sort of take a step back and probably think a bit more broadly and consider and challenge your existing beliefs or things that you've been led to uh, you can keep end up just chasing the same thing over and over again when in reality it's not actually working yeah or if it's working it's it's part of a bigger picture like it's not it's not there is no there is no silver bullet uh, retail media, I think, is a very interesting one because <clears throat> naturally it was going to go um, like money that was invested into, you know, uh, trade media, retail media was 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 going to um, go digital, as it were, at some point. So like that's, you know, that was kind of a given you know, maybe it's being accelerated a bit by signal loss everywhere. You know, the, the, the way that I sort of, cause I, I, you know, I happen to think like retail media, it's only going to get so big, you know, there, there's gotta be some inherent sort of size limit on how yeah, much. Have to be. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The, how big that industry can get uh, before it essentially starts to cannibalize its own success because then you're starving upper funnel demand generation um um with you know at least in the in a consumer context um but the, the you know the the way that i i yeah rationalize retail media is i'm like yeah you know to your point wayne of, of kind of looking for the next the next source of signal like okay you know third-party browser cookies were a good one because everybody used web browsers and all the web browsers supported third-party cookies it was like a really you know, it was, it was just kind of common across 
all consumers. And I was like, oh, you know, I wonder if like, one of the reasons that retail media is, is, you know, having a moment, as it were, from a non-technological basis, in a sense, is that everybody buys stuff. It's, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's another sort of lingua franca that the, the industry can fall back on of like, well, if you need to track conversions and third-party, you know, cookies don't work, you know, your, your pixels and your tags don't work anymore, then... I don't know. Everybody buys stuff, so let's talk to the people they're buying it from, and we'll track everything with with those people, um, uh, which I think is totally valid. Um, it's just kind of like, well, you're definitely going to run into, you know, because you're talking about a smaller pool of signal than you got with third party cookies for sure. Uh, uh, at least this time, it's like actual cash register rings. One would hope. Um, um, but that was how I started think about it. It's just like, oh, you know, it's everybody buys things. And so it, I think it is a natural place to go for signal because of its, in a sense, kind of universality. Uh, anyway, I, that's it. We're getting off the topic of like knowledge asymmetries, but I, I do think that uh, retail media is um, um, an interesting case right now. Yeah, I, I think, um, I think there's a few others as well, like uh, attention measurements, uh, digital audio and in gaming. You know, there's all uh, emerging channels in general. These things which kind of sort of come to be through innovation and evolution, um, but get sort of lumped in the same way that it used to be done, as opposed to like ex expanding what's the best way to use it really. And um, I think that does come down to. Um, decision makers using existing knowledge without necessarily considering how to expand that into a, a new area or and, and therefore it goes back to well what questions do I even ask because this is so new yeah that's this gets back to what I was saying about there you know being kind of a lack of a systematic um approach in a lot of organizations where you know you have maybe somebody in leadership or somebody went to a conference and heard something or somebody, you know, read something that, you know, in started to instill some FOMO and they're just as sort of, or somebody's talking to their, you know, uh, consultancy and their, their, you know, their consulting partner said X, Y, Z. And all of a sudden, you know, it becomes, it, it there's some trend that takes on a life of its own, but then there's no systematic way of arming the actual buyers. Cause often the person who kind of really makes the high level decision of like, Oh, we need to have a, whatever. We need to have a retail media strategy. Okay, great. <laughs> do, do you have a system in place to educate everybody, you know, several layers below you on the org chart? of kind of what that is, why it matters, because then, you know, uh, uh, and Wayne, you'll probably hate me for saying this, but like, then the knee jerk thing is to like lean on your consulting partner or your agency partner. And then you, you, the knowledge asymmetry persists yeah. because you, you're not hundred percent sure how they're making their decisions or recommendations to you. Or like, I don't know, what are they doing? I don't, you know, if, if I, as a buyer remain, um, ignorant i'm essentially just 
bleeding value out into the rest of the ecosystem because no matter who I turn to, it's not that they're going to take advantage of me. It's just that there's probably going to always be this like persistent opportunity cost that I'm never going to be able to get rid of uh, because I always kick the can down the road in terms of learning, you know, key topics and, and key concepts, at least in the, in the context of, um, um, of a buying mechanism or, or, or buying cycle. I think that's the, the opportunity cost point is such a good one. Like I, if I, I'd need more hands to count how many times I've been asked to go in and go, what clean room should we use or what DSP should we use or what agency is like, what are you trying to achieve? What are you trying to achieve? Um, and it does feel like someone has seen something somewhere, read a sales deck or a LinkedIn post or had a meeting yeah. with the CEO at wherever. Yeah. And it's like, and it just then it all goes downhill. And all of a sudden yeah. it's like reams and reams of people, internal, external, going off in the wrong direction because there actually hasn't been some, as you say, like a systematic approach to working out what yeah. is actually required from this. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't necessarily think there's anything wrong with using high-level industry trends as sort of like a heuristic to be like, okay, I keep hearing about this thing. You know, I'm going to dedicate some resources to seeing if we can invest in this thing. But to your point, when somebody at the, you know, on the consulting end of it or professional services end of it just gets a request like, well, which clean rooms should we be using? So, okay, clearly there was a disconnect. Somebody perhaps rightly looked at clean rooms as important, just capital I important. And then you skipped all the steps and just chucked it over the wall to the consultant without getting educated in between. Um, um, which like I said, I, yeah, I, I think that, you know, at least if we're talking about economics, the, 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 probably the way to conceive of that is, is one of opportunity costs. Cause then you don't know the, the roads that were not taken in the interim and, you know, what choices did you make or not make that have now committed you to things that might be like suboptimal versus what it is you actually want to achieve? Yeah. Yeah. And I always wonder why that is, whether it's a short job tenures or people just wanting to keep up with what's the newest thing that everyone should be doing or what, I don't know. It's interesting though, I, how that that is such a common thing that occurs. I'm, I think a lot of it gets back to the fact that the the industry, so the technology vendors can and have and probably will keep staying out ahead of the rest of the market. They can always add another layer. And I sound conspiratorial when I say this. It's not a conspiracy. It's just the way that software development works. You can always add more buttons in the UI, more features. You can always take an if-then rule and take any outcome of it and split it into another if-then and split those into more if-thens. If we're talking about like a code level, you're, there's nothing stopping you from doing that. There really is no practical upper limit to how complex things can get. And like I said, when, when digital advertising and marketing went digital, you know, when advertising and marketing kind of went digital, because it's essentially all going to be digital at some point in the not too distant future. Um, <clears throat> it, it sort of 
it, it, at least from the buy side, you just expose yourself to this completely new environment where the vendors who are selling you stuff have an advantage in being able to stay out ahead of you because they can change the rules of the game faster than you can kind of keep up with them if if that makes sense. And like I said, it, I, I'm not meaning to sound conspiratorial. It's also just the way that technology and digital works where large changes can propagate throughout an ecosystem much faster than when, you know, things such as advertising or marketing were constrained to the physical world. Um, so, you know, Apple can produce a change unilaterally and Apple can do something and that then propagates through the entire industry extremely fast because it's all digital. It has, there are no physical constraints to the, to the, you know, uh, uh, the, the pace that that change can, um, can have. Um, um, and so, yeah, I, I, I think that's kind of just at the core of sort of one of the things that sets the entire industry up, not to fail, but you're kind of chasing a carrot you'll never catch unless you take stock of what's actually going on and set yourself up to, you know, maybe slow down and educate yourself before chasing after, you know, a piece of technology or a trend or a vendor or whatever it might be. Yeah. Yeah. Not. I was trying to think how to best word this next question because uh, you mentioned earlier, you know, there's everyone limited amount of time in the day. There's mm -hmm. only so much time you can actually think about stuff and like acquire knowledge and stress test it. Um, and there's, you know, one of the best and also most challenging things in our industry is the so many different types of stakeholders on a buy side, a sell side, and you know the intermediary layers, um, and they're all have different levels of knowledge, experience, incentives. Um, I know you get to meet a ton of different companies from a ton of different backgrounds. Like where does the, the biggest difference in knowledge exist, if that makes sense? Where's that spectrum like the furthest away from being, knowing the same thing as one another? I mean, my mind immediately goes to marketers and ad technology vendors. I think the gulf there is large uh, because if I think, <clears throat> uh, you know, the times that I've been a marketer in my career, and I, I, I think I've counted it up and I think I've worked on something like six, maybe even a few more marketing teams in my career, is like your job is not... Um, to be a technical expert. Like a lot of your job is like signing invoices and like, yeah. you know, sort of, you got a bunch of vendors that you're herding like cats and, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a lot of like sort of mundane grunt work that is highly necessary, but it is not conducive to, you know, independently developing a keen understanding of how 
whatever, some new cookie list targeting technology that you're being pitched on or, or something your agency is telling you or something your consulting partner is telling you. you, you, you your, your, your day job just isn't conducive to kind of independently develop, developing this expert perspective on these things that you're being told. Meanwhile, another thing that makes me say that is like, even people inside these companies on the, on the tech vendor side, there's a huge spectrum of the level of understanding of what these companies do, you know, and, and it's not as if, so the, you know, and I, I, to your point earlier is that I bet this, this applies to many different areas, especially of just the technology sector as a whole. So across a lot of different verticals, but if we just stick with marketing and advertising and you just look inside of an ad tech or MarTech vendor, there's a wide spectrum of what the depth of people's sort of, expertise and um, 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 just their, their, their depth of understanding of, 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 you know, what it is their company does, how it does it, why it does it, et cetera. Not only is there a variance in depth, but you also, I bet there's, you know, within any one company, maybe you have one or two people who have a uniquely both broad and deep perspective on what that tech company does, but you step outside of this tiny, tiny handful of people and there isn't anyone else who understands it all. Because like, to put it another way, if you think about the tech company, you say, well, who's the most sort of like surface level person that's going to be at that company? Like, I don't know, maybe it's somebody in like, sales or marketing or something like that, where they, the level of understanding they need to have inside that tech company is um, relatively, um, it's just, it's, 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 uh, it's surface level. And you think, oh, well, if I go down to the product team, they're going to have the deepest level. <laughs> That's couldn't be further from the truth. If you've ever talked to like genuine or looked at really peeked under the hood at how ad tech and martech functions, a lot of times you can tell that it was, the code was written by people who have no understanding of advertising and marketing. Yeah, for sure. No, none, none at all. <laughs> like, yeah. They were just handed some like product requirements and they wrote the code that met the requirement, but like they are completely divorced from any understanding of ad tech and marketing or ad advertising and marketing. And so again, like I said, within these companies, it's not like there's layers of an onion you peel away and eventually you get to this like core group of people that really get it. No. It's actually everyone has their own independent sort of prism into what's going on. And so even within the walls of a company, you end up with these knowledge asymmetries and these knowledge gaps that um, they could stand to be addressed in many cases, because there are a lot of cases where it does definitely start to slow companies down uh, uh, when you've got significant knowledge gaps between between teams that are ostensibly working towards the same goal, but can only see like a small slice of what's going on or, or, or what it is that comprises the goal. So anyway, I, that, yeah. that, so to get back to your original question, I'm thinking marketer to tech vendor, but they aren't monolithic things. Even when you go inside the tech vendor, mm. you end up in a hall of mirrors of levels of understanding and, and who knows what and who's doing what and why are they doing it and how are they doing it, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, that's probably where I would have thought the biggest sort of difference was, but that's such an interesting point about 
even within those companies themselves where everyone is probably more familiar with what they should be doing or aligned with what they should be doing there are still big differences and yeah. i know i've i've heard you talk about this before as well how the solution to that is you get a handful of people who have a full-time job but are also expected to knock out presentations to educate the entire company and i've had that experience in my career and it's exhausting it's absolutely exhausting yeah but that, that sort of seemed to be a solution is put the weight on the person who is bringing bring it all together and it's a bit like well that's a bit yeah. unfair like how do you think it, about solving that challenge that exists in these companies i mean th- this is again this is this is where you of digital fits into the industry and why we think we're offering something very unique is that companies are already they've already come up with their own solutions to these persistent cross company, uh, cross team knowledge gaps. And a lot of times, you know, you get in conversations with people and you realize it is being put on the shoulders of, of one or two people in an entire company who, who, you know, have, uh, whatever, uh, like I said, a uniquely broad and deep perspective, uh, um, and, um, and we our pitch to companies, at least the ones that are doing that, is to say, well, can we just do that for you systematically? Can we source the expertise for you and set up a formalized system? Uh, because a lot of the, you know, uh, instructional design and scheduling and a lot of that kind of stuff isn't being done. And that is as much a component of learning as sort of the knowledge itself. Because like, for instance, you can have some brilliant luminary inside of your company and say, you know, let's say it's, it's you, Wayne. Wayne, you understand what's going on with the privacy right now. We need you to put together a big deck and present it to the company at the next all hands. We need everybody to know this. Okay, so you, whatever, sidetrack yourself for like an entire month going down all these rabbit holes because you you know that there's a lot of rabbit holes and so it's going to take a lot of your time because you're like well i want to do this right and i also know that doing it right is is not easy there actually is quite a lot of information to condense and the headlines are coming out every week and you're trying to keep up and whatever maybe you do that session for the company but like all of this other stuff gets left like undone is there any ongoing learning? Or do you have time to follow up with any of the teams that were in attendance at that all hands? Did you make a, a pre and post assessment for these people so you could measure any lift in their comprehension of what you said to them? You know, did you take attendance to see well what percentage of the company actually saw that? Was there anything tracking who watched the recording later? So there's like all of this other structure that companies could be adding to it. That of course they're not because like the, the 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 luminaries you know the Waynes and the Mileses like we don't we can't do that single handedly like that that is that's and that's what I mean by systematic is you know uh, I think there's a sometimes an overemphasis put on uh, the knowledge and the expertise itself at the expense of a system to make sure that it's generating value and that that value is like persisting into the future and is reaching endpoints that it was intended for. So to get back to your original thing about, oh, I want a clean room. And your question is, why? Could we back up a step? 
you know, you being asked, and I'm sorry, I'm using you as a total hypothetical. You're the luminary working inside this <laughs> I hypothetical love it. I have tech company. <laughs> and, and Wayne is going to rescue the company from, you know, uh, the fog of privacy news. And, you know, one of the questions you may not have time to ask or nobody takes a minute to think about is, well, why? Would you, we have a new feature being released? Do we have, is there a competitive threat? Are we going to like, I don't know, are we trying to raise new capital and this somehow plays into the thing? Are, are the clients complaining? Like, why? Why do you need to know about privacy? Granted, it's an important topic, but let's also stay focused on what the point is of the knowledge. Like, you, the knowledge should have some, you know, application and we need to make sure that anything that is being instructed or, or taught or whatever, it, it maps to those uh, those goals and that there's some level of measurability to make sure the connection's being made, that, that, that we're actually moving the needle on in a positive direction on on some strategy or, or plan. Yeah, that, and um, again, definitely in agreement. And that kind of leads me to my final question is, um, it also allows you to uh, it to exist when people leave. So it is so common to see when you have these luminaries or an yeah. owner, they don't tend to stay in companies 20 years. They probably shouldn't. No churn's healthy. Uh, but when they go, it's like, oh, God, what are we going to do now? Oh, it's higher. Wait nine months so that person can join and start again. It's like, what a waste of all that effort you've just gone through. And yeah. it just d- disappears. Whereas I think having yeah. that, that sort of systematic yes. approach, like well documented, it exists in a common place, which is not just someone's head. Like you don't have to slow down to keep going through this rigmarole of hiring and people moving roles. Yeah, um, I mean, you're 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 kind of damned if you do and damned if you don't, because um, you know, if you you rely on your you know internal uh, luminaries or, or or subject matter uh, experts. Um, yeah, the whole thing ends up being very ephemeral. Um, and so you're you're essentially robbing that person of time to execute their full-time role, which I guarantee you is not presenting, you know, mega decks mm-hmm. to the company. Um, um, and and it all just becomes very, very ephemeral. So there's this question of like, well, why did we do that? And then the person leaves and it's all sort of, just goes up in a puff of smoke. And then the other, the flip side of that is like, oh, and, and this is completely hypothetical, but it just sort of illustrates how bonkers the ad hoc approach really is when you start to think seriously about it. Is okay, let's say that this uh, subject matter expert does stay at the company for uh, 20 years, some ridiculous time span. Do you really want like that person? I mean, they are going to have some really set in stone opinions <laughs> after yep. a while you, you're, you're really not going to be getting a lot of diversity of, of thought or opinion or knowledge at that point because and so it's like there's no perfect place that that seesaw rests there is it, it, it's there is no good version of that approach but anyway when you said you know the 20 years thing that made me think of like that's not a good as as outlandish as it is because you're right people move jobs more often than that outlandish as that is even that is not uh actually uh a a desirable goal or a desirable you know end state 
Yeah, totally agree. And that's a good place to end the conversation. Miles, thank you so much. It's been great yeah. to chat. Really appreciated it. And I'm sure the listeners will as well. If they want to find out more about you and your work, where can they do that? Uh, they should go to uof.digital. That's uof.digital, not uof.digital.com. Uh <laughs> <laughs> that's a common a common misconception uh we also we do a we do a weekly newsletter uh that's at u of dot digital slash uh newsletters free to sign up uh it's great uh weekly rundown of all of the uh the big topics affecting the industry uh, uh our point is to save our readers a lot of time and and uh make the knowledge in our newsletter as valuable as possible amazing i'll put the links in the show description Thanks again, Miles. I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Wayne.